All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to SaberSims DFS Office Hours. It is Wednesday, July 13th of 2022. The whole day I've been feeling like it's Thursday here today for some reason. Uh, and I almost just said it was Thursday on stream. How embarrassing that would have been. Uh, sure glad I didn't do that. But thank you for tuning into the stream here uh, on this Wednesday. My name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. And Office Hours uh, is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to use our tools to build better DFS lineups. If you would if you have a question you would like me to answer on this show, uh, you can email us, support at sabersim.com. You can ask your questions live in YouTube chat if you're joining me here live, or you can post your questions into the Office Hours channel in Slack, uh, for which there is a link to join the Slack community in the description of every past episode. It's totally free to join our Slack community. So definitely recommend joining up if you haven't already. Uh, we have a few questions here in our queue for today already. We'll get to things here in a moment. Uh, we'll start... Um, First off with a couple questions um, about, um, well, one, uh, maybe I guess kind of where pitching matters more between DraftKings and FanDuel, which I think is an interesting question uh, worth talking about there. Um, another question as well about, um, I guess, uh, the the value of hitting versus pitching in building a, a baseball DFS lineup. Um, and then what else do we have here going on? Um, it looks like there's a couple questions about the entry editor here, uh, late swap and, and particularly postponements for baseball. So uh, we will break it all down here and get into it in just a moment. Uh, but before we dive in, uh, if you guys have questions for me, fire away at me now. Um, get your questions in the queue. I do my best uh, I can to answer questions in, I would say, roughly chronological order here. Uh, so the sooner you get your questions in, the sooner they get answered. Let's go ahead and just dive in. Uh, I'm going to start. So this is a question from uh, Brian here. Um, and I am going to uh, flip the questions on their head. We're going to answer the questions in the, the opposite order they came in from Brian here. But uh, that's okay. The first one says, what site? Uh, does the choice of pitcher uh, or pitchers uh, between FanDuel or DraftKings matter more in consistently producing successful scores? Um, and I think this is kind of an interesting question, at least from a, a strategy standpoint. Um, and I would I would probably say at least, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't think one, I don't think pitchers as like an idea as an idea or a part of your lineup matter more in one site or the other. Uh, but because you're playing two pitchers on DraftKings, uh, it does kind of change the the strategy you might use to approach uh, the pitching conversation uh, a little bit more there. Uh, also, I think DraftKings in general tends to price a little bit more tightly. Uh, their pricing algorithm, I think, is a little sharper. Uh, and in, in particular, it seems like they're a little bit more concerned with pricing a little bit more sharply, where FanDuel uh, kind of seems to be pretty open to letting people build lineups that they want to get to a little bit more easily. Uh, guys are a little bit less priced up. So uh, basically, those two things require uh, that I think your pitchers need to be a little bit tighter, I guess, on DraftKings. You need to be a little bit more right. When you are paying up uh, for an ace, um, you are paying a little bit more, at least relatively speaking, right? That player is taking up more uh, salary out of your lineup as a whole. That player generally needs to do a little bit more with that salary. Uh, and you're also generally going to need to pair that player with a uh, lower salary option um, who typically doesn't have... Uh, 
necessarily all the benefits of the high salary guys, right? Because they're a lower salary guy. Uh, they might have a good matchup um, or, uh, you know, one thing or the other, but probably not the, the same name brand value that you're getting at the top end there. Um, so because of that, there's a little bit more volatility with your pitchers, um, a little bit more going on, a little bit more you need to think about. If we bounce over to FanDuel here, right? Uh, because again, because the pricing is a little bit softer and you only need one, um, a lot of times, a lot of times like the FanDuel pitching pool is really just like the first like few highest projected guys, right? Like you, you probably, you know, even on a slate like tonight, even in, even in 150 lineups, it's hard for me to imagine like going past Zach Wheeler even here, right? Um, obviously still a lot of time before lock, uh, but you know, just starts to be like, why, why go much lower? Um, I guess maybe you have this 4.26 point per dollar, uh, 7k Aaron Saval, uh, where, you know, maybe you're, maybe you have like a super, you have two really expensive four stacks and he lets you get there. Uh, but otherwise it's like, why, why do you need to get down there? Right. What's the point? You've got all of these other options here. You only need one. Uh, again, I mean, there's, there's way even better values here, uh, at the top end. So, um, I think, I think in terms of the the strategic approach, uh, what you have to be thinking about as you're building your lineups and things like that, I think the DraftKings uh, pitchers are a little bit more important, a little bit more interesting of a, a strategic discussion here. So um, I guess the question as it's written though says, are which is more important in consistently producing successful scores? And that's just, it's an interesting question and kind of a hard one to answer. Um, I would say it is easier on FanDuel to produce to pick pitchers that consistently produce successful scores because you only need one and the pricing is softer that you can typically get almost whatever one you want. Um, maybe in terms of answering which one is more important, it's probably DraftKings because it's harder to do. Uh, and since it's harder to do for one person, it's generally harder for the field to do it as well. Uh, you can probably, I guess another way of looking at this is you can probably get more relative edge over the field uh, being consistently correct with your DraftKings pitchers uh, than you can over the FanDuel pitchers. There's a, probably a little bit more uh, room to work um, there. So, you know, um, interesting question though. Good one to get us started with there. And I'm going to jump to another question that came in from Brian, uh, kind of like the other side of this, um, I guess. And this question says, um, let me get it up here. Um, so then, uh, I guess, yeah, kind of like the other side, are the bats, the key to taking down decent sized GPPs? Um, I would say like in general, no, not necessarily right. Building, building high upside lineups, building positive expected value lineups overall, uh, is key to, to taking down GPPs, but that's, that's not a very, I don't know. That's not a very fun answer, right? Everybody knows that. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Jordan. Building good lineups is the key to taking down GPPs. Uh, the one thing that I think is like interesting when you're thinking about bats versus pitchers is the ranges of outcomes, right? Uh, you have very different ranges of outcomes for these different types of players, right? Let's compare the best overall projected pitcher that we have on the slate, who's interestingly uh, the 7.7K John Gray, uh, who is even projected a point higher than Shane McClanahan at the moment, uh, at least with where the Sims are now. So interesting slate there. Um, let's actually, let's take Shane for the, for the purposes of this, right? And if we look at this range of outcomes, right, his average projection is 21.32, right? Which is right about here. 
It happens 13% of the time. Uh, and we can see a lot of his most common outcomes are around that particular average, right? There's a big floor here. He can get lit up. There's a big ceiling here. He can throw the, the complete game shutout. Uh, but you can kind of get an idea that, you know, I would say that this number, you know, it kind of kind of means something, right? This number is somewhat descriptive of the whole. I would assume uh, that at the end of the night, if we could somehow play this slate out 10,000 times or something like that, that probably like a lot of his outcomes here uh, are, are between, you know, maybe 15 and 30 points-ish, right? Um, now let's go look at, look at something different, right? Who's our best overall projected hitter on the slate tonight? It is Aaron Judge, right? Sounds about right. Now let's look at Aaron Judge's outcomes. He's projected for 10.57, right? Very different story. 10.57, probably right about here. That particular outcome appears to happen only 8% of the time. His most common outcomes are very close to zero. Uh, and then there's there's basically just this like really big tail uh, of outcomes here, right? Um, so you could ask yourself, you know, hey, I'm trying to decide like, you know, what's, what's more important or what do I want to prioritize? Getting the best overall bats uh, or getting the best overall pitchers, right? You can kind of see how the story comes together of, well, probably the pitchers are going to be a little bit more reliable to hit those outcomes. So in that way, are bats the key to taking down decent-sized GPPs? Uh, I think there's a little bit more value in understanding the full range of outcomes of a hitter and fading potentially over-chalky hitters than there is in terms of pitchers, right? These guys are projected, like, actually, Manny Machado's a really good example, right? Manny Machado were projecting for 37.5% owned on tonight's slate, right? Uh, in Coors again here. Um, and we are projecting Shane McClanahan for 39% owned or John Gray for 37% owned, right? And even, even without looking at the rest of the slate at all, you might ask yourself, well, which of those is good chalk, right? You could, you could kind of answer that by just looking purely at the ranges of outcomes, right? Not to say that necessarily John Gray or Shane McClanahan makes sense to play in any given lineup or 100% of your lineups, but it's probably likely that they are a little bit more deserving of their ownership uh, than a guy like Manny Machado, uh, who is most common outcomes are three or less fantasy points. So in that way, I do think kind of, you know, thinking through these things and landing on the right stacks and the right the right bats as you're building your lineup, taking into account ownership and the ranges of outcomes of these things uh, is an important part of the process. Now, this all, uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, these are all kinds of the things that Sabersim does take into account somewhat automatically, right? Because when we build your lineups, we're not actually looking at the average projections and optimizing for the average projections. We're actually taking subsets of simulations and then optimizing for them. And we're also looking at the ownership when it comes time to build your lineups. So when you actually build here, right, this these kinds of things are are taken into account. I guess both of these questions are taken into account, right? The, the, the fact that you have to come up with two pitchers in DraftKings, right, and pricing can be a little bit tighter is naturally accounted for when we build lineups here. Uh, the range of outcomes and the way the distributions look different between pitchers and hitters is taken into account here because we're using those simulations to build the lineups and owner and we're adjusting for ownership. Right. We're making ownership based decisions here. So uh, I think these are very good theoretical things to keep in mind as you're thinking about the strategy of how you want to approach a particular slate or what it takes to build a successful lineup for a particular contest. Um, 
But I also don't think you need to overthink about this too much uh, because a lot of this is, is captured somewhat naturally here when we build lineups. And you can look here, um, I mean, right off the bat, in this particular case, uh, how, how does this all kind of come together? Well, we are, you know, we're a little under on uh, John Gray here. Uh, we're under on Shane McClanahan here. Um, on the hitters, um, we are a uh, little bit over, right, uh, on, on a guy like Aaron Judge. Um, what about Machado? One single lineup here uh, where Aaron Machado shows up, right? So this is kind of naturally captured in there. So um, uh, Brian, let me know if that kind of helps. Again, I think these questions are they're interesting. I think they're kind of wide open, a lot of different ways to take these. So uh, if you if you were hoping for me to go a different direction here and answer these a little bit different, uh, just email us back, fire back at us. But I hope that kind of helps uh, get, get started here. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and keep it rolling here. Um, I wanted to jump here and quickly just touch on this question here from um, Bionic Knee. Um, looks like a feature request here. Um, and I uh, said, I know it's been brought up in the past. Uh, is it possible to combine multiple builds to push in the entry editor? For example, I have 200 entries for the night, uh, run a build of 100 with a particular set of rules, another set of 100, and then go to the entry editor and fill them all together. The answer is no at the moment. Um, this is something that is has been very commonly requested. It is something we want to implement in the future. At the moment, you cannot combine one, two different lineup sets into one lineup set and then use it to fill a lineup. Um, so uh, it is, again, it comes up all the time, very, very commonly requested. It is something we want to do in the future right now. Uh, just the, the infrastructure of the way um, that the entry editor is set up, we cannot do that. So uh, if you want to do exactly that thing, I would say, especially if you're filling uniquely, you can probably just do it relatively quickly in CSVs. Um, that's probably your best path forward there. Uh, and it's something we do hope to add in the future. So, um, and then uh, in it to bink it, this had come in yesterday, uh, actually right towards the end of the stream uh, from yesterday. And he said, is it possible to enter a 20 max using only my iPhone? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, you, you should be able to do that. No problem. We do have uh, a um, on our support uh, site, support.sabersim.com. If you just search phone, um, you should be able to see. I've recorded two videos on my Galaxy. Um, so iPhone will be a little bit different, but should have no problems. Whether you're looking for DraftKings or FanDuel, uh, you can watch and see exactly how I do it. Um, but should be should be pretty straightforward here. Um, you know, a couple things move around to save space on the smaller mobile screen, but otherwise, uh, we're totally mobile optimized. You should be able to um, both register for the contest, uh, build lineups, Upload your CSVs, fill the fill the CSV, and upload the CSV to the site uh, all very very quickly using your phone. So, um, but especially during NBA season, uh, I had a lot of experience having to do that process uh, very very fast to capture like late breaking news right before lock on my phone. Sometimes when I was out, so uh, definitely doable. I, I've I've lived it. So, um, cool. And then uh, we'll jump over to YouTube chat here. Uh, just a couple questions in YouTube chat here. So guys, fire away if you have more questions you want me to cover here on today's stream. Uh, getting close to the end of the queue here. Patrick said, little be known that I did not uh, realize Fandle dropped a bombshell. Um, you can now late swap postponed players. This update has been out several weeks. Did you know about this or anyone? Game changer uh, until DK does the same thing. HC said, I wish DraftKings would do that. And I play Fanduel uh, baseball a ton. 
Uh, I I didn't know. Let's see. Um, FanDuel postponed games. I didn't really know that this was like going to. I didn't know that this was like out until yesterday. Um, I had, I know this has happened before, right? But I didn't know that this was uh, reliably out here um, until yesterday. And it looks like here, it is in their rules here now. Um, so it, they're saying if a contest offers late swap, uh, players in your lineup can be edited until the scheduled start time. Um, in this case, if a game is postponed and no stats have been recorded, then you can edit and swap players in a game that has not been started. Um, so I think this is weird personally. Like, I don't, I don't love that they're doing this. I, I do feel like it's, it's, I don't know. It, it seems weird. I, I think, I think the, the game theory game of weather on FanDuel is a little bit more, I don't know. It's frustrating when you're wrong, but it's part of the game. It's like the table stakes of the game. And, and I find it weird that they're doing this, but they are doing this. Um, so, and I guess for the casual player, it is a little bit more uh, the, the casual player is probably going to stick around a little bit longer now because is there's nothing fun. You know, if you're the type that's like building one lineup a week or just throwing a lineup in because you're watching baseball that particular night, not really even paying attention to weather. And then you get postponements. That is not a good experience and it doesn't make you want to come back. Uh, so um, I suppose maybe that's why they're doing it, but yes, it looks like now, you can late swap whether games that are postponed on FanDuel for baseball, even if that game's lock has already passed. Um, the one thing that's like a very important point here is if the game actually starts, right? Um, you're 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 in for it at that point. Like if they started that Washington game last night and then an inning in, they're like, we can't play this game. Uh, I think you're hosed then at that point, right? Um, they, if they postpone mid game, or I guess at that point it would be a, a suspended game. Um, yeah, it, it's over there. But I think for me, I'm basically just going to kind of ignore weather and FanDuel from now on. I guess maybe pitchers. Pitchers would be the one thing, right? You'd still want to keep an eye out for your pitchers that have potential rain delay risk um, or something like that. Um, because, you know, a, a an hour-long rain delay essentially has no impact on the hitters, really. Uh, it can have a big impact on the pitchers if they don't get to come back in the game. So maybe that's one thing you want to still keep an eye on. But for stacks and like for most weather situations and postponements, I don't think you really need to worry about it on FanDuel anymore because you can just play them and swap later. So, um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I know HC and, and Patrick had mentioned DraftKings. I kind of hope they don't follow suit here. I don't think they will. Um, personally, I think it's unlikely. Um, but I, I like, I don't know. I think the game theory part of the weather back and forth is, is interesting and it's a part of a game. Um, it's a part of the game, but I don't know. So, um, Patrick said, you think Sabre can make late swap adjustments for postponed players? It definitely can. I did it last night. So, um, the one thing though, is you might have to, so like last night I, um, let's see, actually, let me see if I can show you. So one thing you may just have to do is let's take a look and see if I can just demo this real quickly. Um, Okay, so like the game is gone, right? When once the game gets postponed, it disappears from the the team totals. That's a that's an automatic process at SaberSim here. Uh, the one thing you'll just want to check uh, is just like remove these guys from your pool. Um, and I actually think I did this last night when I was building my lineups, right? I actually went back through here and then xed these guys out. Uh, but if you just 
Like if you double check and just make sure that they've gotten zeroed out or removed from your pool um, or have a zero projection, you should be able to late swap. So I did it last night and it and it worked great. Um, I actually ended up on a ton of giant stacks because they were the late game, right? Uh, and it like paid off a ton. I ended up, I ended up, my two biggest stacks on FanDuel last night were Seattle and Washington. So I had a ton of lineups to swap to um, and it swapped me. I didn't, I didn't actually get to swap until Coors had locked. Um, so I had only these two games to, to choose from and it swapped me onto a ton of Houston and a ton of giants. And I ended up totally luck boxing into a pretty decent night on FanDuel. So um, it should be able to do it. So, um, okay, cool. looks like a lot of chatter and chat here uh, going on here. Um, so Josh likes it. Josh, Josh says that's actually dope. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's things that can be cool about it, right? Like, I mean, I guess it, 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 it definitely lowers the frustration of baseball DFS. Um, but there is, I don't know. I think there's almost this, like, if you've ever gotten burned by weather when you're building your baseball DFS lineups, it's almost frustrating now to see that other players aren't right. Like, if you've, if you've ever gotten a game that rained out half of your lineups and you're just like screwed for that night, it seems like that's something that needs to be paid forward. Like other people need to know what that feels like almost. And now that, now that they're just like, Oh, I guess the game rained out and I can just swap away. It's almost a little frustrating. Cause like, that's how I kind of feel a little bit. Um, I don't know, not in like a malicious way, but like in a little bit of like a, Hey, like what the hell? Like I, you know how many lineups I've had getting rained out and now we're just not doing that anymore. So I don't know. goes both ways, but um, Clay said, how can I set a rule to play three players under 10%? Please advise. Uh, yeah. So what you would do here, um, is you would use the rules. So if you click rules here, you need to build a player group, add a group rule, and then it's going to say, what players do you want to put in this rule? And the easiest thing to do here is to go over to the ownership projections. Actually, let's pick today's slate. We're still on yesterday. Um, and go over here. And okay, so now we'll pick groups. We'll start over here. And we want to basically grab every player that is uh, less than 10% owned. So what I'm going to do here um, is actually instead here. So what I'll do is uh, Jose Trevino is the first player, the closest player, the highest projected owned player that isn't over 10%. So we'll start there. And then we're going to take this thing and scroll all the way down to the bottom and then shift click. Right. And it's going to, this is going to be a huge group, but that's okay. And we're going to click save. Um, and it's going to take a second because it's, it's like an enormous group. Uh, but that's okay. This is every player in the pool that's 10% uh, owned or less. And we're going to say at least three players from this group. Right. And then when we build our lineups, um, we can go back here and we should get every single lineup should have at least three players that are 10% owned or less. Um, you probably could trim out some of those players from that group. Like you probably don't need, uh, literally like what 500 players. Um, in fact, actually now I'm thinking about it. I think for performance reasons, it would be better if you do do that. So let's, let's edit this a little bit here. Cause I think this build is going to take like forever to run as the way it is. So let's actually go back here, um, and remove that. And let's actually do this again. What I would actually end up doing now that I'm thinking about it is I would look, I would only go to like, I would look for like who's, yeah. So we don't want anybody that's 0% owned because that means they don't even have a projection. So I would probably like start, you know, maybe just a little bit higher up, like something like this. Let's see, we're getting close there. There it is. Okay. 
So we'll take Spencer Watkins as our last guy in. And then come back down here. And this is just this is just for performance reasons. I think a a 500 person group is probably not the builder's not really going to love that. So now if we build, uh should get a little bit of a better result there. So um but that is how I do it. Um, groups in general, like it, it is going to take the builder a little bit longer to process. Like it's going to take a little bit longer to do that. So, um, give yourself a little bit extra time, but you can see like we're, we're, uh, away here. So, um, you know, the one other thing, last thing I'll note, because I always feel like I need to mention it when these kinds of things come up is like, you know, these rules of your lineup must have a player that's projected under 5% owned, or you have to have three players that are under 10% owned, right? Like they are heuristics and they are rules of thumb that evolved because traditional optimizers that optimize purely for average projection do not understand ownership. And so you need to come up with a way of teaching that optimizer how to navigate ownership. So you end up with these rules, right? This is one of them. Another one would be uh, no, no lineups with a total ownership over 125% or something like that, right? Those are rules of thumb and heuristics that exist because other lineup optimizers out there don't know how to deal with ownership well in a way that is natural uh, and, and I guess, correct. Uh, Sabersim does, right? Sabersim, uh, Sabersim handles ownership at a much more like upside-focused way uh, by one, pulling real outcomes from our simulations and then comparing what those players scored to essentially the ratio of their ownership projection to the average ownership projection of the position, and then making a decision on each individual player for each lineup if that player is going in or not. Uh, and it also handles this in a way that adjusts automatically based on the contest you're playing, right? So I would encourage you to experiment with letting the ownership fade slider handle your ownership more than rules of thumb. But if you want to use them, that is how you would do it. You'd use that rules tab. So, um, but um, back on the weather thing, Carlos says, yeah, it sucks. I found out yesterday. I think that's up for every player to decide what to do. They're going soft. And then Patrick said, that's a big edge on Fando for the sharks. I think it's the opposite. I think it's a big edge for, I think it's a, I think it lowers an edge, right? It is an edge, paying attention to weather is an edge, knowing which games have postponement risk and then assessing the risk of that correctly. Uh, and especially assessing how ownership plays in there, right? This is a, this is a boost to casual players um, that aren't paying attention to the weather so that there's less of a frustration when their game gets rained out. Um, and again, it's important to have casual players in a healthy DFS ecosystem, right? That, that has to happen. So I don't hate this. Um, if this can, you know, if this means that, you know, somebody is playing baseball DFS through the end of the season, because they're not getting pissed off when a game gets rained out, then, then great. Um, but it is, it does, it does lower an edge a little bit, I think. So, um, Interesting. This is a, uh, there's a lot of uh, strong opinions here in chat here. Um, so Josh said some teams postpone games with no rain. I love the idea. If it's postponed, uh, can't start back up. Yeah, that's true. And like, I mean, Washington, you know, say what you will about last night. It seems like it was uh, quite a downpour there in Washington last night, but Washington in particular is notorious for doing this, right? I know last year 
Like they postponed games where it did not rain a drop all night and people are furious. Um, so, I mean, guy will gamble says, uh, I mean, we're playing fantasy baseball, not fantasy weather. Um, then Carlos says weather's a part of DFS baseball. It has been since day one. Um, but won't have to worry about it anymore on FanDuel. Yeah. It goes both ways. Like I, I get it for sure. Um, so I, I, I think I'm a little bit torn, right? I, I think in, in my opinion, right. I, I think it's hard watching an edge go and I got burned last or I would have gotten burned. I got burned on DraftKings last night. I played, I played both weather games on both sites. So I lost a lot of Seattle and Washington stacks on DraftKings where you can't swap. Um, because I thought after the rain, I thought that after the late start, uh, based on, you know, what Kevin Roth was saying and based on what the weather looked like overall, I was like, you know, I'll take a shot on the stacks. I liked both stacks. So I played them. Um, and I got burned, but I think just, paying attention to the weather period is an edge and it's hard to watch the value of an edge disappear. But I do think it is very important, especially in a sport like baseball DFS that has, I would say a tenuous three year history in terms of interest in that, that DFS sport. I think it's important that sites are taking steps to protect the casual player base because they, they're, they need to be there, right? That's a very important a very important part to the a healthy DFS ecosystem is the the casual player base that um, that will quit if they get uh, their their team rained out, right? So, like, it is what it is. Um, okay, real question here. Aaron says, "Can you explain unique random? Does it pull lineups from the entire pool? No, it does not. It only pulls lineups from what you are playing. So, for example, let's go over to FanDuel." Um, real quick because I have at least uh, a usable entries file here. Um, actually, you know what? Uh, yeah, let's let's just go to yesterday, right? So then I don't have to chase it down. I should have my, my entries file from, yeah, I do. Okay, so 325 unique entries I had in play here yesterday. Um, we will give it a quick look. Wiffle ball, pinch hit, bean ball, 325. If I build and remove those, if I build 325 unique entries here, right? Uh, with a pool size of 500 and then fill these, it will pull only from the 325 lineups. A random lineup will be randomly assigned to a unique entry in every single one it will not go further into the pool of 500 to pick from lineups. Your Every fill method, not just unique random, will only ever pull from the unique lineup set, from the lineup set, not the entire pool. And that's why sometimes, you know, if I built a pool of 150 here and tried to unique random fill that into that set, it's going to say, we can't do that without duplicating some lineups. It's not going to go into the pool to fill the rest of the lineups. It's going to say, we need to duplicate some lineups from your lineup set here. So let me know if that helps. Um, <laughs> Guy will gamble said that makes no logical sense. Uh, we shouldn't be paying pain forward. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like I probably didn't explain that the right way. I don't know. There's just like, I don't know. It's, Maybe that maybe that's just me, but there's a part of me that's like that's I feel like a little bit of a gut check reaction where it's like 
like, okay, let me put it this way. At one point we were all learning baseball DFS. And there's that one point, that first slate where you play a lineup or a set of lineups that get rained out. And you're like, what the hell? Right. But then you learn and then you focus on that. And then you learn that's something you need to pay attention to. And that's like part of the learning process of the game. Well, I, I don't know. Like, I think part of me feels like that's a, uh, a, a natural part of learning baseball DFS, uh, a rite of passage, I guess, maybe is a better way. Uh, I'm not trying to, I feel like it uh, makes me sound like super malicious, but um, so I don't know. Um, what else do we have here? Let's keep it going here. Um, Patrick says his, his mustache, you played your mustache lineup in cash. Uh, that's wild, man. I don't know. I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have been able to do that, but I'm glad it, it worked out for you. Um, Josh said DK should add a utility spot. Some teams have two first basemen and you can't play them both currently on DK. Uh, Eric said, I like that part of the strategy on DK. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of interesting, like two-sided things here. Um, yeah, I think it is, it is an interesting component there. Um, and, and it always has been of like how stackable is a team. Uh, and it goes beyond, I think even just like having you know two first basemen there's some teams like so a good example uh, is um i guess like the yankees are actually a decent example here where um let's see let's pull them up so if uh if you stack the yankees um and oh actually Wait, where is, oh, is Judge not in the lineup tonight? Okay, Judge isn't, oh no, this is last night. I keep getting confused. I was like, I feel like Judge is playing tonight. Um, If you stack the Yankees when Judge is in the lineup, and especially when Hicks is batting higher in the order, it requires you to use three outfielders, right? To like stack them, especially. So tonight he is, uh, Hicks is, Oh, actually, okay. So another bad example tonight because Hicks isn't in the lineup and Gallo is. But like, let's say for example that like Hicks was batting third, right, or something like that, or fifth, right? And you want to like build a five stack or something like this. Well, when you use both outfield spots on DK or all three outfield spots on DK to satisfy your um, your stack, right? It it I think in some ways like it can. Uh, you're you're not you're not only making a statement like I want to stack the Yankees. I think the Yankees are the best overall team on the slate, but you're also saying I think the best three outfielders or uh, you know some of the top overall outfielders on the slate all also come from the Yankees, right? You kind of fill up that 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 spot, especially in large field stuff where you have to get a little bit closer to the optimal, right? There's a lot of high upside outfield hitters, and I think um, you know it's far more likely that, for example, a a one off. Uh, that has a lot of upside is going to come from the outfield than second base or, or shortstop, right? On average or catcher or something like that. So when you have a team that like to stack them in the highest upside way possible requires you to use all three outfield spots is, is another consideration. Put it another way, let's flip this on its head. I've always felt like teams that have a really like excellent second baseman catcher or shortstop lend themselves to be so stackable because those are such hard positions to fill. Um, that I think it does kind of create an interesting strategic element there as well. Um, like, I don't know, you know, I guess the, um, I guess the Dodgers are a really good example of that. That was the first team that came to mind, but you can play Muncie at second. You can play Trey Turner at short and Will Smith at catcher, right? Like 
actually the Dodgers are like the perfect example of what I'm trying to describe here. So if you stack the Dodgers, like one, two, three, four, five, two, three, four, five, six, for example, right? Like you could stack them all in the order together, all with like big upside bats and then have three outfielders that you can do whatever you want with, right? Which is a position that's really easy to fill. So interesting kind of component there. Um, but um, cool. All right. You got to keep rolling here. Uh, chat's lit today. It's awesome. I like it. Um, let's see here. Uh, Patrick, man, is, is just like jamming these summer league slates. For summer league, how do we select a player or lock a player in if their projection's under 15 points? Center position is a wasteland. I just want a warm body. Uh, you'll need to remove the filter. So you come over here. Uh, you uh, enter your projections, first of all. So um, I will just use the salary-based projections for this example here. Once this loads, hit it with the old, good old-fashioned hard refresh. The, uh, the Those summer league slates are a little dusty in, uh, in Saberson. We got to knock the dust off there, get these to load up. Uh, and now we'll use the salary-based projections uh, and then just clear this. So there's a default min projection filter of 15 points here. Just like remove that. Just set it to zero or something. If you're playing NBA Summer League, again, we don't have projections or simulations for this. So you need to do your own research to figure out what the starting lineups are going to be, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so obviously you're going to be curating your own player pool in here anyway. Uh, so that will that's the easiest way to do it. Um, is uh, is uh, remove that player filter. So, um, <laughs> uh, Guy Will Gamble said there's a bigger social conversation to be had around this. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I feel like I've just like come across as like super malicious. Like, I don't know. Hope not. Eamon said, hey, Air Jordan, can you give us an in-depth in-depth, high-level explanation of the benefit of the ownership fade slider. I can. I can do that. What a great question. Well, let me explain how it works first off here, right? So the ownership fade slider, a uh, good way of thinking about this is that it works It works sequentially after the sim precision slider, right? So the first thing that actually happens when we build a lineup is based on where the sim precision slider is set, Right we are going to determine the player projections that are going to be used for that lineup. So sim precision at six, if you were building like this, right? Let's get rid of this, this group here. Um, if you're building like this, right? Sim precision six, 18 sims per lineup. That means the first thing that happens is we take 18 simulations at random of this game and this game and this game and this game and change all the player projections to what they scored in that bucket of 18 simulations, right? Then what happens is then we take into account ownership, right? So the ownership fade slider. So basically what we do is we compare every player and we compare their ownership projection to the average ownership at their position. And then along with the variance of that player across the full distributions and adjust every player's projection from that bucket of simulations up or down based on whether or not they are higher owned than average, right? If they are higher owned than average at the position, they get a small penalty to their projection in that bucket. If they are lower owned than average at that position, uh, they get a 
bonus to that projection they scored in that bucket. Uh, and then the size of that adjustment ultimately comes down to two things. It comes down to how high is the ownership fade slider and how high variance is the player. If a player has a uh, higher variance, that, well, I, we actually, let me put it this way. We're more likely to fade a higher variance player. We are more likely to play a lower variance player, right? So that's kind of why, you know, I, when I preach the benefits of ownership fade slider, a lot of times I'm talking about it's slate contextualized, right? It takes into account the the uniqueness of that particular slate and it is uh, contest contextualized, right? The, the size of an ownership adjustment in a single entry contest is smaller than it is in a 150 max, right? So that is essentially how it works in a, that is a high level in-depth explanation, I think. Uh, actually, uh, well, hold on. That was just what it is. Uh, let's uh, instead here uh, talk about uh, now the benefits. Well, I actually kind of did, right? I guess the, the so the, the primary benefits here uh, is that it it is um, it takes into account the slate context, right? Every slate's a little bit different. Where the ownership's going, who's chalky, how chalky are they, how well do they they project? All of those different things. If you're using like a rule of thumb instead to deal with your ownership, uh, you are you miss all that you miss all that nuance right uh the other benefit of it is that it's been back tested for the contest right so we understand that it takes a, a different amount of thinking about ownership to be successful in a 500 man single entry than it does a 150 max uh like the flagship or something like that those are the big benefits so that's my high level in-depth explanation um yeah, and Patrick says there's money to be made in Summer League. 10K up top, Summer League will be over soon. Yeah, I bet there is, honestly. Um, you know, there's always, there can be a lot of money. It, those those uh, small sports or contest types, um, it, uh, I feel like it, it, it goes both ways. Like on one hand, there's less content out there. And there's less quality content out there. Uh, so it's, it's harder to know what's going on. You can get a lot more of an edge of just like, paying attention, uh, but also the, the fields are sharper, right? Because like the impact of one player maxing that contest out, kind of the effective entrance argument thing, right? The impact of one player in there that is paying really close attention uh, and maxing it out, um, they take up a lot of equity. But I believe, I, I mean, I, I believe that you can ab absolutely be profitable playing, playing some of those. So, um, but... Uh, Cloak Mistborn said, how do you utilize the new percentile selections on step three? Do they affect the SaberSim score or just when you sort by projections, pros and cons of using 75%, 80% over average? Yeah. Um, so they, uh, let's see. Um, so they're interesting. Um, I actually, I don't use them that often. Uh, I, I think they... They've been, they're actually, so they're not new. They've been around uh, on Saberson for a long time. And I think that they were probably more usable or better to use in an older version of Saberson that didn't do the things now that it does as well. But essentially what happens here, if you do this, so if you switch to 85th percentile, right? What we're doing is we're basically shifting that player's mean outcome to their 85th percentile outcome and then resorting the lineups based on this new projection, right? Um, on a practical level, it has the the it, it has essentially the effect of ignoring the bottom range of outcomes, like ignoring the the floors of a player and just squeezing out a little bit more upside. 
Um, Saberism is just so like our models have gotten so much better and the, the way sim precision actually is calculated into your lineups um, and how that, that upside co component gets calculated into Saber score. All of that has just gotten so much better that I, I don't really personally know how useful percentiles are at this point anymore. Um, I, it's not something that we want to like pull out or deprecate just because I know there are people that have gotten used to using them out there and, and like using them. Um, I just don't know what I would typically recommend somebody use them for at this point, unless you really like wanted to, to squeeze out a little bit more upside. Um, I think another thing that they can be useful for is research, right? So if you wanted to see, you know, what am I essentially asking of a lineup, uh, to do? And do I think that's possible, right? So like, or maybe even a player, right? So you could set this to the 85th percentile outcome and look at this lineup and think, you know, yeah, I mean, if for this lineup to take down a GPP, it probably needs to score 204.3 points, right? Which means basically I, I'm i kind of asking, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for 35 points out of John Gray, for example. Like, is that, how does that, is that doable, right? Do you think that's a realistic score? Do you think that upside is there? Sometimes that can be a helpful way of, becoming opinionated about a player uh if you otherwise weren't but otherwise i don't think they're, they're that useful now so one thing that we are working on here um and that we plan on it's already kind of working a little bit behind the scenes um we want to pull this into the the front end uh and and do a little bit more with this but what we want to do is line up percentiles right so like one of actually i think one of the limitations of the percentiles as they are right now is that they're all calculated on a per player level right um and if you've played dfs like baseball dfs for a while you know that this isn't actually like what would actually happen if this lineup scores 204.3 points right like you don't ever actually get every player individually hitting their 85th percentile outcome Right. What would be more interesting is seeing what is the lineup as a whole's 85th percentile outcome and how likely is it or not how likely it is like how what is the lineup as a whole's 85th percentile outcome or 95th percentile outcome or 99th percentile outcome. So we are planning on coming out within in the somewhat near future, uh, a what I would call a lineup percentiles uh, tool. And I think that will be a lot more interesting uh, and have a lot more applications um, to, to look at there. So, but, um, the, the, the main thing, I guess, or the last thing to note on the percentiles thing is that if you, if you use them and you find that you like the way that they are sorting your lineups more, go for it. Um, at the end of the day, it is purely a sorting method, right? It's basically another way to resort your, your 500 lineups. Uh, it's certainly not going to kill you. Um, and you might get a little bit of value out of it, uh, depending on how it's applied. So, Um, Francis says, is there a way to see projected stack ownership by team? Not at the moment. It's something we plan on building out. Um, what I typically like to do here, um, I've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, there's a couple different ways that I like to kind of calculate this. Um, the first, you know, if you just want like a gut check, if you're just like, Hey, how, like, what are the, like, how chalky is each team going to be? I think you can get a pretty good sense of it just by like looking at it. Right. Um, and just filtering by these teams and getting an idea here. Uh, also, while it requires you to do a little bit of your own work in Excel, um, I've actually found that downloading the full projections from here and then calculating the average of the top five projected owned hitters on a team 
actually does a pretty good job of approximating stack ownership. So like just just take the top just take the top five projected owned guys and average their projected ownership. Um, that actually works pretty good for for uh, approximating stack ownership. Um, but we are planning on doing a far more kind of robust version of that calculation in the future. So um, okay, cloaked Mizporn said for your answer to fade, you talked about ownership for each player at a given percent. Does it account for stack or team ownership? Uh, do you plan to include team cumulative or multiplicative ownership? Um, so this is an interesting question. So, uh, at the moment, a lineup is built player by player. So every player's individual ownership adjustment, uh, is done on a, on a player by player level. Um, oh, okay. And Cloak said, I just answered that. I think I answered part of this. I'm going to, I'm going to address the part that I don't feel like I answered, uh, in this previous question. So, uh, every player's done it at, at an individual level. Now, Player ownership is correlated in the same way that players are correlated. So like if the Padres are chalky, right, they're, they're likely all to be chalky, right? It's, it's unlikely, you know, there are situations where like maybe a, there's a really good one-off situation. Byron Buxton is a guy that comes to mind where he's like frequently or can be up to like 25% owned sometimes without the twin stacks being super highly owned. Um, you can get there sometimes with guys like uh, Otani who's pitching tonight. So that's not a good example. Um but uh, Jose Ramirez at times as well. Um, so you can see it a little bit here, right? Like some of these guys, um, but they're, they're pretty well correlated. So in that way, it kind of takes that into account. Um, the other thing is that, uh, and I should have mentioned this before. So when, when we're building the lineup, ownership fade is also is applied, but we also apply ownership fade when we grade the lineup, right? Ownership fade is an input into Sabre score. So, and that's taken into account at the whole lineup level. So in other words, if you build a lineup uh, that is a five stack of the Padres on uh, in a Coors Field slate where they're all very chalky and your ownership fade is super high, right? Like something like, let's use a default setting, something like this, right? It's really high. And that lineup is still showing up as one of your highest Sabre score lineups. You can almost think of that as like, in spite of the fact that I'm playing this whole big giant stack of the chalkiest team on the slate, this lineup is still otherwise good enough that it's having a really high saber score. It's like, it's taking into account ownership there. So, um, but, and then good point here, like for Padres check, uh, chalk, do, you don't need to fade Machado Cronenworth necessarily if you wrap around or do a mini stack, right? And so this is exactly what I mean. So yeah, so like you may find that maybe maybe that lineup gets stacked in a way that's creative because it uses the bottom of the order. Or maybe you look at that lineup and it's paired with uh, a really low owned three stack and maybe it fades the pitching chalk, right? So maybe it's a, yeah, maybe a three stack of the Tigers and it fades John Gray and McClanahan and Otani. And it uses like um, Christian Javier and, and uh, I don't know, uh, Aaron Savalli or something like that. Right. Um, so, um, and that, that is why that the lineup as the whole, when it's graded out as an, on the ownership level is still a high saver score lineup. So. Um, Patrick says, I know this is personal preference, but I feel like small stacks are optimal in a small slate like today than a popular five-man stack on DraftKings. Am I wrong to think that a three to four-man stack, you definitely want a five stack on a large slate like last night for the correlation? No, I think that's absolutely true. 
Um, I think smaller stacks are more viable on smaller slates for two reasons, really. I think there's two different ways to think about it. The first is that as the size of the slate gets smaller, the raw probability of one team on the slate having a really high upside outcome is is lower, right? If there's there's 18 baseball teams playing tonight, right? So there's a greater percent chance that one of them has a really high scoring output and a five stack makes sense. There's enough players in the team to support a five stack that all go off. In a four game slate, there's only eight teams, right? So the raw probability, the raw likelihood that one of them has a ceiling outcome is lower. But I think the more impactful thing here, uh, the more important reason um, is that ultimately in any size slate, it's generally unlikely that a five stack is optimal, right? Because there's so many players playing baseball. Uh, the upside of any individual hitter is pretty high in the form of like home runs and and raw scoring output, right? And the optimal is going to frequently not be a perfectly designed stack. Stacking is a tool uh, that allows us to build lineups that perform better like on average, that have higher upside outcomes on average, but they're frequently not optimal. As well as the size of a slate gets smaller, there are less players in the player pool. It's more likely, especially in larger field tournaments, that players are just going to arrive at lineups that are closer to the optimal, right? Like we need to get closer to that optimal to beat a big GPP because, you know, somebody might land on that three, two, two, one stack that is very, very close to the optimal because there's less players to pick from, right? Or even like if there's going to be a slate where you're going to see a two, two, one, 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 one stack or something, take it down. That's probably way more likely to happen on a three game slate than it is on a 15 game slate. Because on a three game slate, that player is only picking through six different teams of players to pick up from and get all that right. On a 15 game slate, there's 30 teams that they're picking from. So yeah, I would definitely say in general, smaller stacks are more viable on smaller slates for sure. So um. But cool. What else we got? Any other questions here for me on today's stream? Let's look at HC's afternoon baseball scores. Uh, Seattle six, Washington four, final. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> New York seven, Atlanta three, final. Uh, Milwaukee one, Minnesota one, bottom of the seventh. KC five, Detroit one, bottom of the fifth. Dab or elbow cough. Sweet. I was doing pretty well when I checked earlier in the early slate. Uh, I'm not sure how well that has held up. I would have to check. Um, I had so much Seattle, so I obviously got off to a good start. But I don't know. I don't think I had a ton of Mets. But I, how many Mets do you need? I don't know. Because like I don't, they weren't that popular. I don't know. Interesting. We'll see. But isn't that funny that it says elbow cough? <laughs> That emoji just doesn't come through, so it says elbow cough. <laughs> elbow cough. Darcy Kemper got traded. That's too bad. I think. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was time. Maybe it was time. All right. Any other questions here for me before we begin to wrap up today's stream? It was a fun one. It's kind of a goofy one. Definitely got you guys all riled up with the uh, the um, the weather delay uh, 
stuff or not the weather delay, the late swapping postponements. I didn't expect so much excitement about that. Um, but that's good. Everybody's everybody's opinionated about that. So that's good. Um, you know, I think the one other thing I think maybe an, an interesting, and I know the sites are uh, talking about this and trying to figure this one out, um, is the uh, withdrawals and late scratches for golf and MMA. Um, that's another one that I feel like whatever they do, people are going to be pissed. People are going to be so mad. Um, I, you know, there's all kinds of different, different things that people have talked about, but one way or another, somebody's going to be mad. So I'm interested to see what they do because that, I think that's even more frustrating because that happens. It feels like that happens more often than weather postponements. And it's a little bit more impactful when it does, especially in MMA, just because there's so few fighters on a, on a slate just wipes out a lot of lineups. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do about that, but that's another one that I think is going to get people up in arms. Uh, Patrick, yes, it will. Late swap for postponements, it will work. I talked about this a little bit earlier, so uh, maybe just rewind a little bit. Or once uh, later this afternoon, this video will be timestamped as well, so you can go find exactly when I talked about it. But I would say basically just here, actually, maybe we can just demo it real quick because I think this is... Like, I think I saw earlier my FanDuel lineups from yesterday were still in here, the ones we built on stream. So, um, let's see. Um, yeah, okay. So, what is this? Yeah, there you go. So, actually, it's working right now. So, we're picking up that all these guys are are out. So, I, can't, I actually can't run the late swap now because all the games have locked. It's not going to have anybody to swap to. But, like, it's it will work. So, Gabble Gamble says, uh, could do lock times for golf based on tee times, but that could be rocky, rocky slash rocky plus tricky. Yeah, I just don't know. Is that like, is that better? So, okay. So, one thing about that. So, there's two things about that. One, I, I think, I don't think the tee times are, uh, like, a well, I think sometimes I think sometimes golfers start a little bit before their tee times, if I remember correctly. Like they're not as uh, a basketball game, even though it often starts late, will never start before the time. Actually, I guess sometimes that does happen. Maybe it works. The bigger concern here, I think, is that I think that makes the game harder to play, not easier. And I don't know if that helps the casual player, right? Like in golf, especially with how important ownership is, that would change the game completely, right? That would feel like a very minor change to a casual player. Like, oh, I'm not going to get screwed by a late withdrawal anymore. For a skilled player, like a, a like a golf DFS shark, you would be late swapping after every single tee time and updating your ownership numbers every single time because ownership is like so important. Once you have that information, I mean, it would it would it would comp- it would be a huge edge to pros. Um, so, which like maybe isn't the worst thing, right? If you're if you have the time to commit to that, but that I don't know that probably makes the game so much harder to play for the the casual player, um, but. Um, let's see. Um, all right. Looks like a lot of chatter going on in chat. I think, uh, oh yeah. Patrick makes a good point. Don't forget to set your golf lineups, lineups lock at 1235 central. Uh, the lock is, is tonight. It's always kind of fun. If you want to watch a little bit of golf before you go to bed, it starts early. Um, so starts late, I guess, maybe another way of looking at it, but. Um, yeah, last major of the year goes fast. 
So, all right, I'm going to leave it there for today's show. I will be right back here again tomorrow at the normal time, 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Uh, so good luck. Enjoy the slate tonight. Have fun building your golf DFS lineups. Uh, and I will see you guys tomorrow. Take care.